0: So, we are in a series called Justice for All, and I'm excited that uh, in this series we are looking at the things that break the heart of God. The things in our world, the things in our nation, the things in our state, the things in our city that break God's heart. Things like poverty, polarizing politics, addictions, human trafficking, abuse, the things that go against God's best. And and we're trying to figure out how do we as a church engage these topics. Last week we talked about the polarizing politics that are in our nation. Next week we're going to look at poverty and the things that are happening around us here as well as overseas. But what I wanted to do this week is kind of look at the fact of how do we respond to the injustices we see. How do we as the church, as Jesus Christ, how do we as the people of God who long to make a difference, what is the instructions God would give us when we do this? Because it can be very, very overwhelming when we think of how do we respond and deal with it. And the fact is, we deal with injustices every single day. And you may be here saying that, well, I don't really do much for the poor or those addicted every single day. And so, or some of you do, but some of you may say, no, I don't know if I would say that I deal with injustice every day. But we do. If, if uh, what Chris said during our communion devotion is true, which it is, that God came and Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to set us free from that. And he started the greatest move that God could ever do to bring us back to him. And in the meantime, between that point and the time he comes again, When he comes again, he's going to get rid of sin and suffering and disease once and for all. But in between his first coming and his second coming, we live. And while we live, we live with a world that's broken. We live with a world that's marred. And we wonder, what can we do? It's what the Bible scholars say, that we live in the already but not yet. We've already received the amazing gift of Jesus Christ to be forgiven from our sins, set free from our sin. But yet, it isn't totally there. We're in this battle until Christ comes again and once and for all gets rid of it. And when you're in the in-between, we have to live with brokenness. And how do we as the church, how do we as God's people interact with the brokenness? That's what we want to look at today. Because every day it's a challenge. It's hard to live in this world. And there's things that we do where we get caught up and trapped even in our own sinful behavior. And We wonder how we can get out. We, we get into situations and we say, how did I end up here, right? It can be a little bit like this. Don't ask, but yes, I could use some help. How do we end up there, right? How do we get to this spot, and how do we get out of the spots we get ourselves in? And what I'm excited about is that Jesus Christ is an expert in those situations. He's the expert in helping us get out of the places we find ourselves and uh, giving us wisdom in what we're supposed to do in a world of injustice. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. This morning I want to ask the question... When it comes to these injustices, when it comes to brokenness, when it comes to these things, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And I'm going to answer that question a little bit differently than I normally do. Uh, The answer is in God's Word. It's in the Bible. It's through the Scripture. And we're going to look at that. But before I get there, I have to lay out a background. I want to take a lot of time, uh, before we get to God's Word, painting a picture. No, I'm not going to paint literally, because you wouldn't be able to see anything that I'd put on a canvas. But I'm going to paint a picture with words, because I want you to understand the world where the scripture that we're going to look at this morning came from. The world that this word was breathed into, the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we just celebrated, broke into. God, in time and space, said, this is the place that my son is going to rise up. This is the culture. This is what's going to happen. And he's going to defeat sin and injustice once and for all. And I want you to know what the lay of that land was like. I want you to see what the culture of it was like. And so to do that, I have to take you on a journey. And it's going to take a little bit of time. But if you hang in there with me, you're going to see the reward when we get to God's Word. It's kind of like I'm preparing you for Thanksgiving a little bit. The best part of Thanksgiving is sitting and eating the meal, right? But there's so much preparation that goes into that, right? So we're going to prepare a little bit, and then we'll feast on this answer that God has to this question, what are we supposed to do? I want to prepare you and paint this picture by letting you know what was happening in the historical time that most of the New Testament was written. There is a book by uh, a historian named Suetonius. Suetonius was not a Christian. He was just an ancient historian in the Roman world, and he wrote a book called Twelve Caesars. It was originally published in 121 AD. Uh, There's been Uh, additions now that have updated the language so that we can understand it, Uh, but this gives you a picture, this book, of what was happening when Jesus was living in this world, and even before and a little bit after it, and what the church was doing, and what was happening at the time we're going to see when the book was written. So in this book, Suetonius, this historian, covers the first 70 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. So Jesus rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and then he covers these next 70 years of what the world was like post-ascension. What was it like after Jesus rose? And during that time, Rome had five emperors, five emperors that ruled. Now, Rome is a place to focus on and look at because Rome, the Roman Empire, at that time ruled what was the known world. They were the ones that The empire extended out, ruled all the world. They had outposts in different places, but the center of it was Rome. That was the center of the kingdom, and it was ruled by an emperor. So what the emperor did and said was the uh, rule for the whole world at that time. And so the first emperor that we see, we're going to talk through these five Roman emperors, is Augustus. Augustus ruled from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with this because in the Christmas story in Luke 2, if you've hung out in churches for a while uh, around Christmas time, it always says, And in the year Caesar Augustus decreed that a census be taken, right? It talks about this is the guy they're talking about, Caesar Augustus. He ruled 13 years. After him came a man named Tiberius. Tiberius, uh, we see in Luke chapter 3, it talks about the Emperor Tiberius, because Tiberius was around when Jesus began his ministry. Jesus began his ministry in Jerusalem around 29 AD, and what you have to understand is during the time of the Roman Empire, the Jewish people were under oppression, they were oppressed by Roman rule. And so the Romans lived in fear that the Jewish people would someday try to do an uprising and to overthrow the empire so that they can rule. So there's always this suspicion of what are the Jewish people doing. And all of a sudden this crazy rabbi named Jesus came and he did all of these amazing miracles. He did all these power. And so Rome like went up a notch because they said, is this the ruler that uh, Jewish people are going to put in place to try to overthrow our kingdom. And so they were very suspicious. Everything was fear-based. They tried to clamp down and make sure that there would be no, nothing that would happen that would overthrow the Roman Empire. And so they were constantly, constantly looking at that. And that happened underneath Tiberius's watch. Then came four horrible years in the Roman Empire. There was an emperor named Caligula. And Caligula Yula only reigned four years. He contracted an illness shortly after he was named emperor, and this illness caused him to uh, become mentally unstable. It caused him to behave in ways that no human being should behave, and he was ruling the modern world while he was uh, in this state. He was a tyrant who was losing his mind, and he was completely unpredictable. The Roman Empire worshipped several different gods, and they had a statue to all these gods. And Caligula said, you know, I want them to worship me. And so he brought in all the statues of all the gods. He had their faces removed, and then he had his face put in place of all these statues of their gods. He went beyond that. He had a temple built to himself and in the temple, there was a gold statue of himself, Caligula. And then he said, I'm going to have a servant rule in that temple. And every day that servant has to come and look at what I'm wearing. And then they have to make the exact outfit I am wearing. And then they have to dress that gold statue in that temple with what I am wearing every single day. This was what he did. Beyond that, he started spending money like crazy on all sorts of excesses, indulgences, parties, and orgies. He drained the Roman Empire of all their resources, and everyone was starting to get really, really nervous. And the nightmare went on for four years until two of his guards assassinated him to stop the madness. Then, after him, came Claudius. Claudius ruled from 41 AD to 54 AD. And we see Claudius in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. There's a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And Claudius was worried about the uprising that would happen. He was worried that the Jewish people were still going to come and take over. So what he did is he kicked all the Jewish people out of Rome. He said there cannot be any Jewish people living within Rome proper, and so he kicked them out. So Priscilla and Aquila were among these Jewish people who were expelled from Rome, and so that was all under Claudius' reign. Claudius became known as the relief in between, because he was in between the horrible four years of Caliglia, but then he was also in between the nightmare of Nero. Nero ruled from 54 AD to 68 AD. Nero was an arrogant, cruel, psychotic Roman emperor. He had a singing voice, and he loved to sing. He thought he was a great singer. In fact, he'd have contests of singing all over the empire, and guess who won every time? Nero, right? Who would vote against Nero, right? You're not going to do that. That puts yourself in danger. In fact, some of the historians talk about he would gather and make People come and hear him sing, and they would be forced to clap and give ovations and laud all this praise onto Nero to the point where it said, Some people got so tired and weary of clapping when this guy sings, they actually faked their death so they can get outside of the area where he was singing. That's how much he wanted praise from people. He murdered his wife, his aunt, and his own mother. His own mother, he tried to kill four different times before she was actually killed. He tried to poison her, but she found an antidote. He tried to loosen and damage the ceiling above her bed so it would collapse on her. He tried to uh, have her sent off in a shipwreck. She was on a ship going somewhere, and he paid the person in charge of the piloting the boat to wreck the ship to the point where no one would ever survive, including himself, And when his mom survived the shipwreck, the person who was in charge of setting that up knew that Nero would kill him, so he went and executed Nero's mother to finish the job. And that's how she died. He was psychotic. Within 15 years, he married five times. He married three women and two men. Suetonius, that historian, talks of Nero and says the whole of his life was one continuous sense. Scene of lewdness, sensuality, obscene cruelty beyond human comprehension, and folly. That was the ruler of the modern world. That's what he was like. Now get this it was in that environment, it was in that climate that the gospel flourished. It was in that environment that the church of Jesus Christ exploded and took off like wildfire. It was in that climate that God chose before time to say, now is the time, send my son, my son will come, he will die for the penalty of sin, set my people free, and the church is going to be established to take Over and be my ambassador in this crazy world. It was in that climate and it succeeded like mad. It took off like wildfire. The Christian backdrop to all this is that in Acts chapter 2, we see what was called Pentecost, where the church was born and started after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And that started the uh, Pentecost happened in 33 A.D. So right around the reign of Tiberius, and in the Book of Acts we see 30 years of emperor reign. So when you read the Book of Acts, you're reading through Caligula, you're reading through Claudius, and you're reading, reading through Nero's reign, as you read through the Book of Acts and the Bible. And then the Book of Romans was written in 56 to 57 A.D. under Nero's rule. And we're going to look at a verse from Romans under Nero's rule that gives the church its marching orders for areas of injustice. That gives the church its mission statement, if you will, of how to act in a world gone crazy. Shortly after Romans was written, Paul was brought up on false charges. He was going to be accused and executed. And Paul, at that time, you read about it in Acts 24-25, said, I appeal to Caesar. And what he was saying was, when you were a Roman citizen and you were charged with a crime, anywhere in the world, you could appeal to Caesar, be brought to the center of the empire in Rome, and have a trial before Caesar himself to determine whether or not you're innocent and guilty. And Paul took advantage of that. So he sailed to Rome, there was a shipwreck, but he finally arrived, and the book of Acts ends with the last two years before his appeal, and we see him waiting for this appeal to finally go. That's where the book of Acts ends. Two years after that, the apostle Peter is in Rome, and many believe Peter was writing prophecy when he wrote this in his letter for First Peter about the time and place of what was going on. He wrote this in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. He said, Don't be surprised when trials come. But here's the crazy thing about this verse. Peter wrote this verse, and then you know what happened one year after he wrote this? The great Roman fire. There was a great fire that broke out in the city of Rome, burned almost the entire city to the ground. Ten out of 14 precincts in the city of Rome were almost totally destroyed by this fire. And another historian who's not a Christian, Tacitus, says when the fire was going on, do you know what Nero the emperor was doing? He was on his balcony singing and laughing and dancing. Because in his mind, he was going to build an even bigger kingdom. He was going to build something bigger to himself. It kind of got leaked out that Nero was the one who started this fire, who destroyed almost the entire city, killed a whole bunch of innocent people. And word started to get out that Nero did this. And so people started to get upset. There was a huge outcry. And Nero needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame for this fire to get the the light off of him and onto somebody else. And guess who it was? The Christians. Nero said it was the Christians that caused this fire. They were the ones that did this. So the Christians were arrested. They were convicted. All of a sudden, the whole empire turned against them. And they were convicted and arrested, not on charges of arson because there was absolutely no evidence that they did this, but they are arrested on the charge of this. Get ready. Maybe you've heard this before somewhere. They were arrested on the charge that the Christians hate the human race. Because they hate the human race, we're going to arrest them because, you see, the Christian church was going counter-cultural to the Roman Empire because they were following the will and the ways of Jesus Christ. And in following the ways of Jesus, they looked different than where the culture of Rome was going. And so, because they looked different, Nero took advantage of that and said, these are the people we need to hate. Their death was made into a sport. They were brought before lion's dens and in coliseums where lions would tear them apart. They were in places where they would actually take remains of old animals, strap them to Christians, and then turn them over to the wolves. One of the most heinous things that Nero did to the Christians was, at night, there was no way to see in a Roman road in the city of Rome, and so people were complaining. And so he said, well, just take the Christians, strap them to the poles, douse them with fuel, and set them on fire, and let the Christians light the way. And several Christians died in that act. He was crazy. That's Tacitus, that non-Christian historian, wrote this in July of 64 AD. He wrote this about the Christians. He said, "...there arose a certain feeling of pity. It was felt that they were being sacrificed not for the common good, but to gratify the savagery of one man." how quickly the world changed. Six years before this happened, Paul could say, I appeal to Caesar based on the fact he was preaching a Christian gospel and he was brought to Rome and had a trial. Six years later, they're killing Christians for sport. The world drastically changed. And here's what I want you to grab. Why did I take you down that road? This is what I want you to grab. This is what I want you to understand. When you look at the world today, and you say, man, it is so bad. Some of you may say, I don't ever remember a time it was that, this bad. And that could be very well true. But that term can cause you to be so defeated, and you think, man, the world we live in is so horrible. It seems like everybody hates us. It seems like morality is at an all-time low. It seems that there's so much confusion about what is right and wrong that we have no idea where this thing is going to take us, and it feels like everything is out of control. When you feel like that, I want you to remember that Christians have been here before. Not only have we been here before, we've been here before and we've seen worse. And now I want you to take note that not only have we been here before, not only have we seen worse, but the Christian church is alive and thriving today and the Roman Empire is dead. You see, when God is involved and unleashes his church, as Jesus said, there's nothing that's going to prevail against it. And so when we're living in times where they say that we hate them, when we're living in times where there's so much misunderstanding, when we're living in times where there's injustice after injustice after injustice, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is the one who rules and reigns. And he will guide his church. You see, that's the backdrop of the verse that I want us to look at this morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 12, where we're going to see our mission in the face of evil. What is the church supposed to do in these evil times? God gives us a clear mission. If you're using the Bible in the worship center, I'll be on page 1007. If you're new to the Bible and you're trying to figure it out, that's great. The Bible's uh, where we're looking at is Romans chapter 12. It's about... Towards the end, go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll find Romans. Go to the big number 12, and I'm going to be looking at a verse that I want you to see that's going to become our mission statement for how we engage this world that's broken, engage the world that has injustices all around within us and out. But before you look at this verse, before you even read it, before you even find it, I want you to to know something. What we're about to read are the very words of the living God spoken in the crazy time of Nero to his church. This is what God said to his church in that crazy time of Nero. And this is what he says to us as well. Look at verse 21. How are we supposed to act in crazy times of life? Romans 12, 21. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That's our mission statement as we look at the injustices of this world and the injustices that we encounter in our own life. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is the living God speaking to us. And what I want you to see is that Romans 12, 21 and Romans 12, 9 are two bookends. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 21 says, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. These are the bookends. And Romans verse 12, verse 21 is the mission statement of living in evil times. If you want to know how you're supposed to live in evil times, verse 21 is it. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That's what God said to the church when they were under Nero. That's what God says to us today. Now that means something for us. It means two things. First of all, it means that it's possible to be conquered by evil. God wouldn't have put it in the book and encouraged us and exhorted us not to be conquered by evil if it wasn't possible. It's possible to be countered by evil. It can happen. It does happen. Make sure it doesn't happen is what God is saying to us. Well, what does it look like? How do we know when it's happening? What does it look like for a person who's a Christian to be conquered by evil? Let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like a person who's obsessed With news and media outlet and all they do all day is take in the news channels and take in everything that's going on and they take in all the different feeds they got every app and they got all this information they spend hours just listening and listening what's going on in our world now that in itself isn't bad but when that leads them to a place of fear when that leads them to a place of hopelessness helplessness that's what it looks like to be overcome by evil What does it look like to be overcome by evil? It looks like the person who buys into the hatred that we talked about last week. The person that says, if there's somebody who disagrees with me and doesn't see things the way I do, then they are the enemy. And I don't look at them as a person created in the image of God anymore. I look at them as an opinion I'm opposed to. And I just cast them away. That's what it means to be conquered by evil. It also looks like the person who says, I'm a Christian, but they never, ever stand in the face of temptation. They just yield to every pleasure, every sin that comes into their life. And they say, I'm a Christian, but then they do all sorts of things that God doesn't want them to do. And they just say, well, this is just how I live. This is who I am. And I come to church Sunday, and I'm still a Christian, and this is how it is. And they live, though they confess that they're following Christ, they live away contrary to that, doing whatever they want. That's being conquered by evil. It also looks like the person who says, you know what? I'm not going to get conquered by evil and I'm going to write a list of all the good things that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to focus on that list every day. I'm going to live that list. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And they never, ever ask for God's help. They never, ever ask for God's grace. They never, ever ask for God's power. And they try to take on the evil world and the evil within them with sure willpower and determination. It doesn't work. It's a setup. And to do that, to live this life without leaning and depending on Jesus Christ, it's what it looks like to be conquered by evil and be deceived. It also looks like a church that's lulled to sleep. In this time between where Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and is waiting, and we're waiting for him to come again. And in that in between, the church gets lulled to sleep and we do the things we want to do. We do the things that are in focus about our programs. And we never ever look outside to say, how do we bring this amazing message of love and forgiveness and peace in Christ to the world that's broken? How do we engage a broken world? We look at the world, we see the brokenness, it looks like a big mess. And we say, there's no way we can get involved with this. We don't even know where to start. But we have to, as the church of Jesus Christ, show up to the arena and step in. And though we don't know what's going on, one of the greatest prayers of the Old Testament I love is King Jehoshaphat said, God, we have no idea what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. That's the church in action not being conquered by evil. But to be conquered by evil is when the church just pulls back and says, we're just going to be all about ourselves and make sure we do what we want to do. Pretend like it's not out there. Let's just have fun. Let's have fellowship. Let's have good food and fun times and just get a break from the world. That's being conquered by evil. It also looks like something else. It looks like the evils that People suffer internally. And perhaps I'm speaking to you. As a pastor, I was putting this together, I started thinking about the horrible things that have happened to some of the people in the families of Crossview Church. Things like violence and abuse, verbally, physically, sexually, discrimination, these injustices that you feel and experience Personally. You know what it means to be overcome by evil? It means you let those things take over and define you and mark you. It means instead of going before God and saying, God, will you heal me? Will you come in and set me free? Will you come in and heal those horrible experiences, those horrible events, those horrible evils that happen? Instead of doing that, you're content to live with the inner hate towards another person. You're never at peace. You let those wounds define who you are and therefore you lack confidence and you live in insecurity. You don't really understand the love of God because you've never gone to him with that stuff. You try to keep it hidden. You try to say, it'd be too painful to go there so I'm just gonna hold this back and protect this. Meanwhile, the healer of all healers, the one who can set you free is saying, come, let me unpack that and set you free, so you no longer have to be defined by those things. But if you never do that, if you say, no, I'm not going to access that, I'm just going to hold it all in, you're allowing the evil to win. It's being conquered by evil. Instead, allow the healing of Christ to come in, because he can heal you. You know that? Verse 1 in chapter 12 of Romans says, therefore, When every time you see that word, you have to wonder what came before that, because he's pulling on what came before that, and that therefore, in verse one of chapter twelve, is referring to everything that Paul said from Romans one to Romans eleven. And I'm going to sum up Romans one to Romans eleven in two words: in Christ. That's what he said in Romans chapter one to Romans eleven: live in Christ, and in Christ, Jesus took on violence, he took on abuse, he took on injustice. And he went to the cross and he rendered it powerless that now he can heal, he can restore, he can bring new life, he can bring restoration to anything you're experiencing or anything your past has dictated to you. So you now no longer have to be defined by those things and what you do is you come before him and you invite him into your life and you say God would you become the savior of my soul I want to live for you Will you come into my life and enter my heart and when you do that and then you go back and you bring all those injustices all those painful things all those horrible things to him you know what you're doing I love the phrasing of this you are allowing the rule of God to break into your life The rule of God that renders all demonic, evil influences powerless, disarms them, as it says on the cross, is now coming into your life. You allow the rule of God to break in there. I love the sound of that. Receiving Jesus and allowing him into the pain. So it's possible to be conquered by evil, but the wonderful thing, according to verse 21, is there's another option too. To conquer evil with good. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. You either get conquered by evil or you conquer evil with good. There's no middle ground, there's no neutral place to stand. You can't just coast through life and say, I'm not gonna make the option. I'm just gonna live in this protected way away from all. It doesn't work. It's, It's a false dichotomy, it doesn't happen. You either have to be overcome with evil or conquer evil with good. Those are the only two options. And so God comes to us in this place, in this country that's polarized by politics, in this place that's full of poverty, in this place that's full of human trafficking and injustices, and he comes to us in the brokenness of our sin as we're trying to live lives for him in the in-between. And he says to us, don't be conquered by evil but conquer evil with good. Well, how do we do that? That sounds great, but how do we do that? What is the strategy to conquer evil with good? What is the strategy to say, how do we live in this place? If you don't know what to do in any situation, pay attention to this. When you're facing something in life that you've never faced before and you have no idea how to face it, Pay attention to to what I'm about to tell you. Because this strategy will help you no matter what you face, no matter the injustice or the pain. As we said, the bookends of this are Romans 9, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. And Romans 12, 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Those are the bookends. And verses 10 to 18 give us the strategy of how to live in this world. If you are facing something and you have no idea what to do, always pull out Romans chapter 12 and read 10 to 18. It will give you what you need to conquer this. Look at what it says. Before we do that, I want to go back to our original question. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? We said, God told us, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So what does that mean? As we deal with our sin, as we deal with polarizing politics, as we deal with poverty and human trafficking and all these things, listen to what the Word of God says. I'm gonna read this a couple times. The first time, I just want you to listen to it. Listen to what this says. Here's how you deal with it. You don't know what to do in life, verses 10 to 18. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This was written in the craziness of Nero, where he is taking Christians and turning them into lampposts. This was the strategy that God gave his people. This is the strategy he gives us. I want to read it one more time as you look at it. The the part of my Bible that highlights this, the the subtitle in the front of verse 9 says, Christian ethics. This is how we're supposed to live in our world. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in the suffering or the affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live or weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, This is saying love, courage, prayer, gentleness, be together, humility, wisdom. This is how Christians are supposed to respond to injustices. This is how we're supposed to live in today's world. This was the ancient wisdom that God gave a time worse than what we're experiencing. And it's the same wisdom he gives to us. And you know what? If you can't remember all these and you can't wake up in the morning and say, how do I do this list? I just want you to remember one thing. All you have to remember is Jesus. That list can be summed up in Jesus Christ. You obsess your world and your life about Jesus Christ. You learn about Jesus Christ. You study the life of Christ. You find out how he lived. You look Jesus Christ, not your thought of what Jesus is like, not what you think he's like, what he's actually like. You open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you pour over, and you watch what Jesus says, and you watch what he does, and even if it looks like something you never heard before, you never heard the church say, you pay attention, and you become a student of Jesus Christ, and you live out what he wants you to live. It's Jesus. How do we respond in this broken world? Jesus. We do it the way he did. If you need help on how to become a student of Jesus, there's a resource we have. And if you go to our website under the resource tab, you'll find a reading plan in the Version Bible app about injustice You look at that and you read that each day. It's a a Bible plan that you can take through 30 days. It shows you devotion about how Jesus would respond and it takes you through a scripture reading. You can also find it in the Church Center app at the end of the sermon notes. Engage, open your heart to what Jesus would do. Look and see what he did. Many people have come to me and said, you know what, it just seems so horrible out there. Many people have shared the pain that they're dealing with and going through and my heart breaks and I get it. May we respond to those things the way God called his church to respond throughout the ages. May we respond in a way where we are not conquered by evil but by God's grace and his power and his love and his strength. We conquer evil with good. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we need your wisdom, and I thank you that you give it. We acknowledge that there's no way we can fight this on our own in our own strength. There's no way that we can live the way you've called us to live in our own strength. So we yield and plead and fall and depend upon you. God, I ask that you would help us to engage. Father, I pray right now that you'd break the mentality on the church of Jesus Christ of fear towards what's in the world. I ask that you'd break the mentality that paralyzes us because we find ourselves in situations and we hear about things that seem so contrary to how we're supposed to live and how you designed to live, and it makes us shrink back. God, don't let us shrink back. Let us step out even when we don't have any clue of what we're doing. Let us be that crazy, that radical, that dependent upon you, knowing that as we step, you are gonna meet us in that place because that's who you are because you declared that though evil would exist, the church will always prevail because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Father, will you raise up a hard attitude in us as the family across your church that would truly believe that and truly understand that, and would you help us to engage our world as crazy and broken as it is, to be the agents of love? Where else are they going to see it? To be the agents of hope, to be the agents of healing, to literally carry you, Jesus, into broken spots of our city, in our world and our nation. We need help in order to do this. Will you help us? We ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.